0: This is a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs during our summer meeting in San Diego, California, June 2017. We are going to talk finally about cosmeceuticals, and I am going to ask how many of you have products that are sold out of your office currently? Okay, so it looks like the majority of individuals have products being sold out of the office. So I think the biggest thing to understand and take away from cosmeceuticals is that they can work, and it's important to understand how they work more than anything, because it's not necessarily, again, brand X, Y, or Z, it's really understanding what product does what. So these are my disclosures. I've done research for Life's Too Good, I'm doing research for Nutrafol, I've been on the advisory board, and then research for Valiant. So this is what everyone is looking for, that magic cream in a jar. I don't think it exists yet, but I do think we have a lot of products out there that really can help the different concerns that individuals have on the changes that they see in their skin over time. So again, magic cream's what everyone's looking for. But understand that this is not a little industry. 253 billion in sales, and that data I think is from a couple years ago. So it's a very big market, and a lot of individuals oftentimes can't afford to get any kind of cosmetic surgery, but certainly will spend the money, and they'll spend a lot of money, on products. So if you're going to recommend a product, you want to recommend something that's actually going to help and do something for an individual's skin. Cosmeceutical is a term that was actually developed by Dr. Kligman. He's the the guru who developed vitamin A, or Retin-A, and it's a topical preparation that is sold as a cosmetic, but performs with the characteristics of a pharmaceutical action. And so that's really what that cosmeceutical word means. And we do, as I said, have great products that are out there targeting aging, RITIDS, laxity, texture, tone, and skin discoloration. Currently, there really is a limited FDA oversight. They they really don't regulate products that well, and it is something that um, they are working on. Patients want it. I know that when patients have procedures done in my office, they frequently will ask, what products can I use? And I think a lot of times we can use adjunctive products to the procedures that we do that make the skin look even better. What happens as we age? We know that good old fashioned sun damage does cause these acute and chronic changes from the radiation. We damage our lipids, we damage our DNA, we damage our proteins, and we deplete the skin of antioxidants. So what we wanna do is figure out what what we can give back to the skin. Here's a little bit about the cosmeceuticals and the FDA. So they are developing what's called a personal care products safety act. So the idea behind it is a great idea. Basically creating manufacturing standards with national and international standards so that you can actually get kind of an overview and an over control on uh, these products that are being made and sold. They inspect the company's records for safety, which is really important because one of the concerns I have whenever I'm dealing with products is I want to make sure that something is being made properly and that there's no risk of infection or anything else getting contaminated into the products that we're selling. They do recall um, these products that are having any kind of uh, serious adverse health events and they encourage the testing of or minimizing animal testing, which I really like a lot. So what can we see with these cosmeceuticals? Anti-aging, as I mentioned, the reduction, sun protection, and, and we'll go over at all these individually as well, um, topicals that treat scars. We do have topicals that help with scar um, um, remodeling, dispigmentation, um, post-procedural due to um, improved wound healing, so people that are having a procedure done and actually being able to do something for them that makes their skin look even better. It actually accentuates that procedure. We've also got hair and scalp regimens, and then of course things that we can use for sensitive skin and atopics. Understand when you're dealing with aging, you're dealing with two basic categories. And this is actually a little book that my daughter and I wrote when she was little, um, called Ashley, her name is Ashley, Ashley's Ultraviolet Adventures, for kids to understand what sunscreen means and what ultraviolet light means and things like that. Extrinsic aging, and this, again, is that ultraviolet radiation that causes the photoaging, damaging, again, the DNA, the lipids, the proteins, and uh, depleting the um, antioxidants of the skin. We're finding more and more that environmental pollutions play a big part in the skin aging, and that includes things like computer screens. How many of you are on computer screens every day? The majority of us. <laughs> um, it includes the visible and infrared light, and I know Dr. Uh, Rubenstein had mentioned about the topical sunscreens that contain things that block out infrared light. It also includes microwaves and includes cell phones, so it really is important that we keep in mind that these environmental stressors can age the skin. Of course, smoking and drinking, and that's imperative, and when we do certain kinds of procedures, especially invasive procedures, it's very important that these patients are not smoking for a long period of time so that their skin will respond well and heal well, and we won't have problems with healing. Poor nutrition, I I actually address with all of my patients what they do as far as their diet, how they're eating, Uh, not just for the patients that have things like rosacea where we know that there can be trigger factors. We do discuss nutrition, and I actually have like a vitamin sheet that I give my patients for different skin conditions as well, and then um, Finally, that lack of hydration in general, having patients drink a lot, drinking fluids. The water doesn't have to necessarily just come from water. It can come from things like kombucha and and other other, um, ways. Intrinsic aging is the stuff that's going to happen even if you protect yourself, and that includes your genetics. So if you look back in your family and see how your mother has aged, oftentimes your skin will respond similarly. Um, Oh, went backwards. Uh, gravity, we know that that takes a toll, and the way the skin just changes, and as I mentioned earlier, the bone resorption that goes along with it. And then, of course, your actual chronological age um, determines, again, how and where your skin is at that degree. So what's good for your skin and bad for your skin? We, I, I kind of, again, go over this with my patients, because if I'm going to put my patients on a topical regimen, I want to give them the best result possible. And I think that The topicals are only one little part. It includes, of course, what we're gonna do procedure-wise for them, but it includes, we discuss exercise, and the studies have shown, I actually wrote a book on stress and your skin, because five and a half years ago, my mother got bacterial meningitis and was in a coma for 11 days, and I thought I was handling everything great, and she finally came out of the coma, and she is actually alive today, which is amazing, but I woke up one day paralyzed. And so I realized that, of course, stress was not helping my skin and was not helping me. And so I kind of go over again all of these things. We know that exercise is important. I go over diet and really reducing the glycemic index in your diet so that you can have your skin respond the best to any of these products or procedures that we're doing. I go over antioxidants, essential fatty acids. I recommend supplements for things that are being missed in your diet. I mean, it's, it's great if you can eat completely organic. It's great if you can really have a wonderful nutrition, but a lot of times the things that we're eating these days are missing some of the supplements that we do need in our body. I talk about being sun safe, and to me that means, I mean, I'm in here all day, and I have sunscreen on right now, and I have not even stepped outside, but I do have sunscreen on, and I do reapply. And then, of course, certain pharmaceuticals work really well for your skin. But the bad stuff includes things like stress, and so I I really try to address with my patients, and I go over all the different factors What can we do to reduce stress? And that includes, again, exercise, meditation, yoga, um, and nutrition, and all the stuff that I'm mentioning now. We talk about hormone issues, and sometimes that means for women addressing if they're perimenopausal, if they're menopausal, that there are things that can be done, including supplements. There's a great supplement over the counter called Perimenopausal AMPM, and it works wonderful for people going through menopause. And uh, there's a perimenopausal and a menopausal one. And it works great for stress, and it's basically a combination, again, of supplements, things like maca, valeria, and hops that really do help both the patient, their wellness, as well as their skin. We talk also about, again, staying away from the poor diet things, the and- androgens in milk. So I really stress, again, organic foods, organic milk. We know that there's a link between acne and hormones in the milk we think it is, and so I do tell my patients if, they have, if they're have something of a substantial milk drinker, and that includes yogurts and ice creams and things like that, to try avoiding that for a month as well. And then again, some cosmeceuticals, if you don't know what they're doing or where they're made or where they're from, they can be bad for your skin. So where can you get skincare products? You can get them at the drugstores. You can get them at the retail stores like Saks and Neiman Marcus, and then at salons and spas and physician's offices. I really think that the physician's office really is the best place because you're learning about your patient's skin, you're figuring out what kind of regimen they need, what you're gonna do for their skin. So getting them on a good topical regime at home, it's a a very nice connection and uh, patients really do appreciate it. So when you're picking a product, the first thing you wanna look at is what is the vehicle? And I will tell you that most of my male patients really don't like the creamy products. They would prefer something that goes on the skin that does something that is not creamy and greasy and things like that, versus my female patients, for the most part, like the more moisturizing, the creamier, the better, the thicker, the better. So it's it's a different personality. It's also a different personality based on your skin type. So if someone comes in with oily skin and I give them something really thick and heavy, they're not going to be happy with me. So it's important, again, to understand that there are different vehicles with which to give the skin the different active ingredients that you have. You can use gels, which again are that aqueous or hydroalcoholic liquid in a colloidal solid. You can use creams, which are the semi-solid oil and water, lotions, solutions, serums, ointments, and foams. And so again, you've got these different vehicles to administer a product, and that includes prescription products as well. Picking the, the right vehicle for the patient and for that patient's skin type I think is imperative to begin with. Then we get into what are the different kinds of cosmeceuticals we've got, and we're gonna go through all of these. We've got the sunscreens, the retinoids, the antioxidants, the hydroxy acids, peptides, moisturizers and lipids, pigment lightening agents, enzymes, and then the growth factors or stem cells. But the number one thing I tell my patients is being sun safe is the best anti-aging thing you can do for your skin. And the sooner you figure that out, the better. This is my daughter and she's holding some sunscreen in her hands. Um, I tell my patients, if you're going to be outside, try to stay away from the high sun areas, dress for defense. There are sunproof clothings available now. There are detergents that are sunproof that help reduce the UV um, transmission that they absorb, use the the absorbing agents as well. I always tell people to pack sunscreens in their bag. I have one in my car, in my purse, in my work bag, and a ton at the office, so everywhere we go. If you are outside, find a spot that does have an umbrella, a covered area, and then of course reapplying. And the biggest mistake people make when it comes to sunscreen is they put it on and then they forget about it, and that's not how sunscreen works. So be sun safe. This is what I talk about with sunscreen, and again, these are just some examples. I am a big proponent of the physical or mineral sunscreens because I think the idea with them is that you put it on your body the minute you put it on, you're protected, so I don't have to worry that I have to sit inside for 20 minutes, which is what happens with a chemical sunscreen. You have to wait, and about 20 minutes later, then you're protected, so with these physical or mineral blocks, you are immediately covered. It has to be an SPF of 15. It has to be that or higher, period, but what I say is that if you go outside and you get burned or tan with an SPF 15, guess what? It's not high enough for you. So you want to use the sunscreen that's going to prevent you from getting burned or tan, because a tan skin is a sign of sun damage. That's what it is. And we have a little t-shirt that says that. so. Um, So really trying to explain to my patients that, yes, the SPFs go up to 100, and what you need is the sunscreen that protects you the most. So number one, pick the right SPF for your skin type. Um, again, zinc oxide, or avobenzone, those are the only two that block out all of UVA light. So if you're getting something that has titanium dioxide in it and it's not zinc, you're not blocking out that majority of UVA light. That's the reality of it. Um, the next rule, again, has to be in with the avobenzone or it's not stabilized, it's degraded by uh, sun. And then the other big mistake people make is how much to use. So I've given you a little guide here and you can take a picture of this if you want, but half a teaspoon covers your face. Half a teaspoon covers your neck. Half a teaspoon covers each arm. And the idea is that a full shot glass will cover your full body. So if you have a bottle of sunscreen, and you go on vacation, and you come back with that bottle of sunscreen not empty, you certainly have not used enough sunscreen, at least not to adequately protect yourself. And the other thing is that sunscreens typically, even when they're waterproof, only last about 90 minutes. So reapplication is key. Anything that's exposed, you need to reapply that sunscreen. And again, here, and then it's one teaspoon for the anterior torso, one teaspoon for the posterior torso, and one teaspoon for each leg. That's the approximate amount you need to adequately cover with sunscreens. Kids love those spray-on sunscreens. The only problem I have with that is with the spray-on, what happens is oftentimes you miss a spot and you spray it on and they think they're all done and then all of a sudden they come home and they're burned over here and there's a burn over here and there's a burn, it it can miss. So if you're going to do it, it is a very slow application of that spray so that you don't miss any parts of the body and making them get out and reapplying after 90 minutes is important. My kids wear rash guards. I wear rash guards when I go out. Um, I had a patient get married in Hawaii and I went to Hawaii I came home and everyone said, oh, you didn't go. And I said, no, I went. But I had a big hat and the bigger the sunglasses, the better, I applied my sunscreen, I reapplied, I wore a rash guard, I still did water sports, but as soon as I got out, I reapplied everything and then when I was out of the water, I did sit under the umbrella. Retinoids, retinoids are great anti-aging products. What is the biggest problem with retinoids? They're drying. That's the reality of them. It doesn't matter which one, and some are more drying than others. As we know, when you get into the retinoic acid, that is the most drying. When you get into the retinols, a little less drying. When you get into retinaldehydes, even less drying. All of those retinols and retinaldehydes must be converted to retinoic acid to become active. So they are a milder version that are converted and then do what Retin-A or retinoic acid does, which is thicken the top layer of skin, and they can also stimulate um, collagen, we are finding now. I do also find that it enhances the penetration of all of my lightning products. So I don't typically write or or give out any kind of hydroquinone that isn't combined with either Retin-A, retinoic acid, or retinol or retinaldehyde. I don't give it by itself because I don't think it penetrates well. I think combining it with a retinoid really makes a huge difference. And uh, again, it helps with the growth and differentiation of cells. So retinoids are a great topical. I warn my patients when they apply it. Number one, I say a pea covers half your face and I will literally pump out a little bit of cream, moisturizer, and I'll show them on my finger what I mean by a pea so that they're not using too much. If you slather your face with retin-A or retinoic acid or even retinol, all that's gonna happen is a patient is gonna be severely dry and irritated and they're gonna go, oh, that stuff is terrible, it doesn't work, I hate it. So you're not gonna get the effect you want. So number one, I tell them a small amount. I have them start out every other night. And I say, if you're not dry after a week or two, you can go to every night application. When you are using something in the retinoic acid family or retinoid, it is sun-sensitizing. It is not put on during the day. It should be put on only at bedtime. That's very important as well. So if you have your patients understand how you use a product, how often you use it, when to use it, how much to use, um, with the retinoids, you can get really nice results. Antioxidants. Typically, that means L-ascorbic acid. For the most part, people will use that. You need a concentration of 10% or higher. So it's not... A matter of what brand that has, you know, brand X, Y, or Z, but you're looking for at least a 10% or higher L-ascorbic acid. Alpha-lipoic acids are also antioxidants. Here's that HelioCare. That's that polypodium leucotomos, which is a fern from South America, and it is a supplement that's given that works as a basically like an internal sunscreen. So it's a great product. Um, it's really good. I, I do recommend it for patients. It's over-the-counter, I like it especially for people that are fair skin because it does work, again, as an internal antioxidant as well as a sunblock. Um, The issue becomes that a lot of my patients are taking a ton of uh, supplements, and so the question is, do they wanna take one more? That's really up to them. But um, I don't think it's a replacement for sunscreen, but it is something you can add, especially if you are, again, worried about sun exposure and have a sun sensitivity, or even a history of skin cancer or melanoma. So what do these antioxidants do? They prevent inflammation, they fight these free radicals, which are due to the ultraviolet damage that you have in your skin, and they also help reduce the ozone damage to the skin. And we know that our ozone layer is decreasing, so more ultraviolet C is gonna start coming in as well. Hydroxy acids are nice. Um, You've got the glycolics, you've got the salicylics and the beta-hydroxy acid family, you've got the glycoaminoglycans. Um, What did these hydroxy acids do? They work as exfoliants. I think as Jean mentioned to you, um, Cleopatra was one of the first ones to use the sour milk, which is a beta hydroxy acid, and, uh, and to make her skin look beautiful and clear. It exfoliates the skin. It does work similar to the retinoids in enhancing the lightening agents to penetrate the skin. It does also help with oil secretions, and I, I love doing beta-hydroxy acid peels on my acne, on the kids that I see in the office, because they do really well. There isn't a lot of irritation with the beta, and, uh, and they really respond well to that. And again, it, um, it can smooth the skin, so people get a nice, they'll usually say that I feel like my skin glows. I think that is the description that we usually say with hydroxy acid peels. I'm mentioning here supplements, again, because you've heard me say that I do think supplements are really important. We did a lot of studies initially with the deep-sea fish protein supplement, and we saw great results with hair and nails. And we are currently doing some studies on the neutrophil, which is the standardized botanical extracts. And what's exciting about this new product is it does have these anti-androgen extracts. It also has the uh, the vitamin E basically based based there, which is an antioxidant. It also has the curcumin, which is an anti-inflammatory. And I actually recommend that people take the supplement curcumin all the time because I think it's a great supplement. If you have a Mediterranean diet, you're getting it regularly, but not all of us eat that all the time. So I do like curcumin as a supplement by itself. But these are all four combined in this product to work on the different inflammatory responses of hair thinning or hair loss. And so I think it's an exciting realm and we will. our studies are underway, so I will let you know what I think in a few months. Peptides, so people come in and say um, they wanna use this peptide cream and, and it's great, and the question becomes, what does a peptide do? So the main thing you have to understand with peptides is that pentapeptides decrease collagen breakdown so the pentapeptide works on the collagen, and the hexapeptide, hepe, hexapeptides are the ones that are what they call Botox-like creams because they actually work on the contraction of the muscle, improving the skin tone, and then altering that communication at the neuromuscular junction. Don't get fooled, it's not a botulinum toxin, but it works in a similar manner. So people will notice that wrinkles do appear less in those dynamic wrinkled areas, okay? and again. It's not so much the product itself, it's the active ingredient, which is, again, the hexa and the pentapeptides to relax the facial muscles and improve that skin tone. So moisturizers and lipids. We know more and more now that what happens over time, and many people in general, have what are called barrier repairs. They have something wrong with the skin, especially our eczema patients, where they are missing this protein called filaggrin in the surface of the skin. And what happens is that's where you can get that dry, cracked skin. Sometimes you have that red, those little patchy red areas, pal- you know, papules, macules, patches of redness. And uh, and the idea is that as we age, we do also lose that barrier. And so what we what we find is that if we can give the lipid back to the skin, the skin will look better. And what's important about this also is the fact that. When you see some of those products on the TV, and they'll show before and after, and you'll be like, oh my God, look how less wrinkled that person is. If you put a moisturizer on the skin, especially on dry skin, do you think it'll look better? Yes, that's just the reality of it. So if you look at those pictures, it can just be that moisturizer sitting on the skin that makes the picture look better. So yes, moisturizers are important. Early on, and especially in younger skin, I will tell my patients that frequently, as long as you have a moisturizing sunscreen, you don't need that additional moisturizer. But as the skin ages, the skin does become more dry. It does have a decreased barrier function and can require more of these lipids. So hyaluronic acid, there is a new one that actually contains the purple rice extract, which is supposed to preserve the hyaluronic acid. That's the one that Skin Medica has out. I think it's called H5. Um, the idea is that you want to maintain that normal skin integrity and the water content of the skin. You want to create a better barrier, which prevents the outside world from getting in. Um, you're preventing that transepidermal water loss, and water loss does make skin look drier. It does make skin look cracked. It can make skin look more wrinkled. When you are doing a moisturizer or a, a, some kind of a lipid on there, it's important to note that, and you can take a picture if you want, but I tell my patients they need to get a humectant, which is something like hyaluronic acid or glycerin. They also need an occlusive, which includes things like silicone and petroleum. And then they also need an emollient, which is the jojoba or the propylene glycol. It's that combination of three that really does give the overall improvement of the skin. But with that being said, some of those products can be cause acneiform eruptions. So you have to kind of create that balance, finding out what works for your patients that doesn't break out the skin in the process. Oatmeal is a great topical, and of course, people have seen it in the bathtub, and it's in, I think, Aveeno products carry it, but oatmeal is a, a soother, it makes the skin feel better, and moisturizes the skin as well. Um, one of my favorite ones over the counter is this Skin Fix. I think it's fabulous. Um, they have a bunch of different varieties for dry skin, eczema skin, and they have some nice thick products in there, and I, I really do like that. I think it's an easy one to use. Okay, so pigment lightening agents. I think you saw this on Dr. Rubenstein's talk. Um, look how many there are, and I didn't even list all of them. Okay, there are so many things out there that help lighten the skin. Hydroquinone is a great skin lightener. The problem is there's a lot of controversy with the hydroquinones, and especially when you get above that five or six percent, that's where you can get into you can have the problems with the ochronosis, which is the pigmentation of the skin due to the hydroquinone. So it's that fine line, it's that balance. I do tell my patients that I put on hydroquinones because it does work. I tell them to usually do four or five months on, and then I have them take a a one-month break. I do not know if that's the way to do it. I don't think there's any good data saying what the right way to do it is, but I do like to have them just take a little break. I have not seen any problems or complications with it, but know that that is something that the majority of people do. They give people a little break off of their hydroquinone. The nice thing is that, like, this is a new one that just came out, um, and it is a a topical that works in a completely different way. It's a plant-based. There's no retinoic acid in it, so there's no sun sensitivity. There is no hydroquinone in there. And so there are different kinds of plant-based products that are available today that can help lighten the skin. Reality, it doesn't work as well as the hydroquinones, but it can lighten the skin. And for individuals that are breastfeeding or individuals that don't want to even go down the road of the hydroquinones, you can use these products, and you can definitely get some lightening of the skin um, with it. Enzyme technology, so uh, I love enzyme technology. I use these products for my patients. Anyone that has skin cancers, -cancers, pre-cancers, they're on these kind of products. And there are different ones out there. Again, what you're looking for are enzyme technology. There's a new one from ISDN that has a sunscreen and the Phytolase enzyme in it. And the idea is that you're getting these enzymes to repair the DNA damage that you have from sun damage, and especially those with that, with those pre already. These, these products act as moisturizers with the enzyme repair in them. So guys are great about doing this because oftentimes I can say, okay, all you have to do is use a sunscreen, and it hasn't an activated, and you're good, and they are so happy. So finding simple things that work really well, dimersine is one of the enzymes that's in the one of these topicals. And I use it actually for sunburns. So if anyone I know or if my kids don't listen to me one day and they come back with a sunburn, they call it the morning after. And the idea is that you can put that on and it actually reverses the damage that has been caused by that DNA and that sunburn by using that topical. So I love this product again as a um, uh, post-sunburn as well. Stem cells and growth factors. So the idea is that you get the stem cells and from it you get the growth factors and cytokines and things like that. Um, We use stem cells for many different things. We use it for wound healing, repairing the sun damage, stimulating collagen. Um, There is a new product out there and I think there's a picture over here called Provoke and this is called Fetuin and it's an alpha-2 glycoprotein. And this is an, a really interesting technology developed by a, um, a physicist at UC Irvine, and he works with ovarian cancer. And he came up with this product that they're using, again, for the study of the treatment of ovarian cancer and other kinds of, I think, brain cancer as well. And he was able to take that, that stem cell technology and put it in a topical form. And so our patients really like that. It improves, again, the texture, the elasticity, and uh, and. We're really, really pleased with that. There are also, again, plant versions and human versions of these growth factors and stem cells that you can find available. And again, I've just thrown up a few pictures up here for you to see. So now I'm gonna get into the idea that when you're dispensing products, sometimes it's just, oh, you know, what, what do you guys, what do you recommend that I could use at night for my skin? But oftentimes what happens is people come in the office with different kinds of skin conditions and they wanna know, or they're getting a procedure done, what can I use in conjunction? So this is that combination therapy. And I, whenever I lecture, I really do talk a lot about combination therapy because it is very rare for me to do one thing on a patient and say that's all you need. If the skin is very, very young, maybe, maybe you get, that, get away with that. But um, most people do need multiple modalities to really give them what they're looking for and uh, give them the best improvement that they can get. So again, you're looking at specific disease states. Um, you can mix your cosmeceuticals with prescription medications, and this includes things for melasma, acne, anti-aging, rosacea, um, KP, eczema, things like that. So what I tell my patients is sometimes it means that someone's coming in, and before I start them on something, and this is really true with, again, a melasma patient, I won't start treatments on my melasma patient without doing something for them meaning that I may start them on a prescription like a Triluma or a hydroquinone that has a high concentration of the hydroquinone with the Retin-A in it. Um, And I will start them on something with the plan to then do a treatment, with the plan then to put them on something else when I'm done. And again, it's, it's kind of working in conjunction and figuring out what they need pre and post any kind of treatment. I use products when I'm doing peels, microdermabrasion, lasers, IPL. So the majority of things we do Seem to work better when they're put on a regimen of topical care. And again, that includes, as I said, with the pre procedural and then the post procedural products that we're talking about. Everybody is given a sunscreen lecture. They don't walk out without a sunscreen lecture. So, what office based dispensing for hyperpigmentation? We talked about melasma, we talked about post inflammatory hyperpigmentation. I try to educate my patients. The idea is with post inflammatory. Darker skin types have it more commonly, so if they have a pimple and they squeeze at it or pick at it, and sometimes even if they don't, that lesion can leave a dark mark, either by the release of the, um, from the blood that actually just releases the, the byproducts of that, or from the skin cells that also release the, the pigmentation. So, over-the-counter products, we have the sunscreens. We could throw them on a glycolic acid or a um, beta-hydroxy acid. We can get them on a low-concentration hydroquinone, You can add um, kojic acid, some kind of retinoic acid or retinol. You can do combination. And again, I I only do hydroquinone with a combination. And then these are the prescription ones that you have to write a prescription for. So I'll pick and choose based on my patient. I typically will start maybe on the lower end just so that I don't have a very irritated patient or a patient that's excessively peeling, things like that, especially if I'm pre-treating them prior to a procedure that I'm planning to do. So here's a patient of mine, and you can see before and after melasma, and this is using topicals and using um, peels to improve it, and this is just one session, and I think that's pretty nice results. She's not 100% clear. We would plan to do a second session at about six months, but she will stay on her topical regimen, including the sunscreen as well. So office-based dispensing for acne. Again, we have over-the-counter products that we can recommend for patients. Oftentimes, people come in the office, and they want the ease of being able to say, Yeah, I'm doing my acne medicine, but what do you have that I can use in addition? What is a good cleanser? And sometimes you can feel comfortable recommending things that are over-the-counter that they can get at the pharmacy. It's oftentimes easy if you have products at your office that you know about that work well. Cleansers, benzoyl peroxide gels, salicylic acid lotions. We do a lot of spot treatments in our office where patients just like, especially the teenagers, to go home with a little stick that they can stick on their their face. Um, Oil control lotions, the multi-HA pads. Uh, and then, as I said, the spa treatments. And then combining that with prescription medication. So most of my acne patients, I will give them some kind of prescription, and then we'll talk about topical regimens. If they want to get in our office or if they want to get it over the counter at the pharmacy, they can do either one. I, I don't push that at all, but I just give them the option. And that includes things, again, like Adapalene, which is the Epiduo, um, Adapalene is different for those of you who don't know. Adapalene is what's in the Epiduo, and Epiduo forte. It's the vitamin A, it's one of the vitamin A derivatives that is not sun-sensitizing and is not in the retinoic acid family, but works similarly. Then you've got the tretinoin, tazeratine, which is one of my favorite acne medicines because I believe that tazeratine is the only topical retinoid that helps acne scars. And I have patients that have done it where I clear their acne and literally I can clear scars. It is really the only one that I see that with. You've got the BPO antibiotic combination. The Epidu, as I mentioned, is a combination of benzoyl peroxide with adapalene. You've got the topical and then the oral antibiotics as well. And typically it's kind of figuring out what that patient needs. Do they have acne just on the face, face, neck, chest, face, neck, chest, back? What are we dealing with? The more extensive it is, the more I tend to add on oral antibiotics just to get things under control. For girls that come in with, sometimes with hirsutism and sometimes without, when they have that jawline distribution or neck distribution of acne, I typically will use spironolactone. So here's a patient with rosacea before and after treatment. And uh, this was topicals, and he did take a low-dose, submicrobial dose of antibiotics and did really well. He had been on all these other medications. He had tried steroids. It did not help, and we cleared him up in uh, one month. And that was that patient that you saw before. This is her without any makeup. Um, And this was in the middle of her treatments. This was at about, I think we had done like five or six sessions on her. And you can see how much better she looks. Again, this is without any makeup on. There's a little bit left over, and that's what we finished off with in a couple more sessions. So office-based dispensing for anti-aging. Again, right back into that cosmeceutical of the sunscreens. Retinols, retinoic acids are again in the prescription side. Um, you've got the AHA and BHA creams, antioxidants, coffee bears on here, it used to be available, it's not available currently. Um, the peptides, enzyme repairs and growth factors, um, again from the stem cells. And then using pharmaceuticals, all these things, again these are all in the vitamin A family, um, different levels of strength, this being the mildest, second and third. So here's a patient that comes in wants anti-aging and she wants to do some topicals at home. Um, this was actually one IPL in my office. Um, I set all the settings, and my patients actually get three passes, unless they're doing Levulin, and then they only get two. But this is three passes, where we'll do two regular passes, and then we'll do a, a basically a dry pass at the end. And she uses her topicals, and she's very happy. I'm going to mention supplements, because I think they're hugely important. Um, these are the lists of just the main ones that I talk about, and again, I have different kind of lists for different kinds of skin conditions. But I do think that vitamin A is important, and I have my patients take an every-other-day dose. Um, With the B-complex, I think it really does help with the skin and support the immune system. The vitamin C is an antioxidant, and reality is that we know that it works better as an oral medication than it does as a topical. It helps with wound healing, collagen formation. So vitamin D, and this is the argument that I love. People will say to me that, oh, well, you have to get sun because you have to get your vitamin D. Well, you can get vitamin D in a supplement, and I do think it's a safer way to go. I have a family history of melanoma in my family. My ex-husband's father died of melanoma, so melanoma kills, and so I'd much rather get my son from a pill, and you can do that. And vitamin D, you can take at least 1,000 milligrams. Best way to do it, though, is to get your level tested. The studies have shown that if you have 40 or higher, um, your dose being 40 or higher on your blood, that's the best way to go. So you want to be a little bit on the higher side, and those patients do better with the, with the bone changes and things like that. So 1,000 milligrams sometimes cuts it. I'm a little low, so I actually have to take 5,000 because I get no um, But again, that's, I think, an important thing that really does help with uh, your skin and your bones. Vitamin E, I love it as an antioxidant. I think it strengthens the skin. And uh, essential fatty acids, as I mentioned, you can take it in a supplement. Of course, eating it is always a good idea as well. And I mentioned here the cod liver oil. That's a great one. My kids actually will eat it. There's one that tastes like lemon salad dressing. And so I give them a teaspoon of that every day. And they tolerate it fine. It's not too bad. Um, And then the supplements for hair and nail. The only thing that's not on here that I would put on here is ubiquinol, which is the highest form of cytokine. I mean, of a... um, and I'm just blanking now, I don't think of it. But anyways, ubiquinol is one of my favorite because it is an anti-cancer drug. Coenzyme Q10, there you go. Coenzyme Q10, which studies have shown it is, they're, and they're doing studies right now to show how it can be used to prevent and fight cancer. So I do think ubiquinol, which is the highest form of coenzyme Q10, should be taken daily as well. And then as I mentioned, the supplements that we talked about for hair and nails. Nourishing your body, these are just foods that I recommend. Um, Again, low-fat carbohydrates, increasing energy. We want to increase our serotonin. It helps patients with skin and acne. Um, you want the good fat in your body. It's hard to explain to kids that fat is good, but fat is good, and so there are certain kinds of fat, like olive oil, almonds, avocados, that help your mood function and your brain function, and so I, I try to emphasize that with all my patients. The omega-3s, as I mentioned, in salmon, We I mandate my kids eat it once a week. They don't love it, but they manage. Um, I, you can do the cod as well, but I prefer the, uh, the salmon. Leafy green vegetables, we do everything we can. A lot of people do green drinks, things like that. I just make my kids eat it. I don't give them a choice, that's what my mother said. You, you don't get a choice, you just eat it. And uh, again, improving the brain function, calming the nerves, and increasing cell turnover. And then fibers um, really do help with estrogen and uh, resorption for um, reducing PMS and uh, slowing digestion as well. So my summary is, number one, reduce your stress. It's not good for you. That's the best thing I can tell you right now. Please exercise, look towards giving yourself a good skin diet or a great skin diet. Consider supplements if you're not getting them in your diet. Sunscreen is your best friend. And then pick products again based on what your skin type is, what your skin problem is, and same thing for your patients. Test the products, that's another thing, is that if you're wondering if a patient can tolerate a product, we give samples out all the time, and I'll tell my patients to do a little test spot, either right underneath their earlobe, right in front of their ear, just to see how their skin responds. If you've got a sensitive patient and they're worried, that's the best way to go. Send them home with that and see how they do. Um, and then the other big thing I tell my patients is, if you slather it on, it's not gonna work faster. That's not how it works. So small, thin layer, more is not better, and, uh, and keep it simple. Okay, final thing, cosmeceuticals are toppled, and we mentioned this, I mentioned this, as Dr. Cleveland said, um, there's limited regulation by the FDA, some products work really well. Uh, Have your staff, everyone on staff should be trying the different products and see what they like. We don't carry a product until everyone tries it and likes it, and uh, I don't give them too many choices, so we're gonna go through our little questions now. There are strict FDA guidelines for cosmeceuticals, true or false? Let's see. False, that is correct. Okay, there are not yet. They are working on it but they are not there yet. All broad spectrum sunscreens protect from UVA and UVB. True or false? And the answer is false. Remember, if it doesn't have, even if it says broad spectrum on it, if it doesn't have zinc or avobenzone, you are not blocking out UVA light. And finally, what is the best anti aging topical skincare or product or ingredient on the market? Is it antioxidants, peptides, sunscreen, or hydroxy acid? If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. I heard that. Yay! We ended with the last question, 100%. I love it. I love it. All right. It says, beware of buying bargain wrinkle remover kits from eBay. And I finished with that. the overall performance of the speaker. How useful will this session be in your practice? As a result of this program, do you intend to change your patient care? Okay, I think we're time for questions, right? On time. Okay, why are spicy foods bad for your skin? So specifically, spicy foods seem to trigger rosacea. That's the issue with it. And I don't think that we really know exactly the dynamics of how it works, but it does seem to trigger rosacea. So that's where we really try to say avoid spicy foods. Not all across the board, but definitely with patients that have rosacea, it's something that can aggravate it. Do you have a copy of the handout you give to your patients regarding supplements? I do, Um, I don't think we have it on my website, but if you wanna contact me at the office, we can certainly email or fax that over to you. Um, Again, I do it based on their skin type as well. Um, And you know what, actually, if you really want it, in my book called What's Stressing Your Face, which is available on Amazon, I have all of those things in there, including all the stuff I talked about. is there a minimum percentage of zinc you recommend? The higher, the better. Um, I really try to get patients to use at least 7% or high, seven or higher. How do you deal with a difficult patient that claims the chemicals on the sunscreen are pro-carcinogenic or promote endocrine dysfunction? What, do you, what discussion do you have with them and any organic options you recommend? That is a really hard one, and, and there are a lot of people that believe 100% organic. And so if that's how they feel you can always find organic sunscreens. You can go to things like Whole Foods and different kinds of health food markets where you can find that. In my office, most of my sunscreens are, again, paraben-free, sulfate-free, things like that. Um, What happens, what people don't understand, is that usually if you get rid of one stabilizer that keeps it on a shelf, something else is replaced by it. So you have to keep that in mind, but there are people that are adamant about that, and if if you really want to go that route, Literally pure physical zinc is just, it sits on the skin. It does not get absorbed. You can go with that. You will be white. Our sunscreens, we have tinted versions of it. We have um, an acne sunscreen that has acne medicine in it and it's tinted and not tinted. So we have all these different things available. But if you have someone that's gonna fight you on it, people have their own beliefs. It's kind of like hydroquinone. There's a big constituent that believes hydroquinone causes cancer. Even though there's been no evidence of it, and it's been around for decades, There are people that believe it, and you're not gonna convince them otherwise. So there are physical, topical, mineral things that can be put and then removed from the skin. Otherwise, it's avoidance. It's wearing a hat and not going outside, and some people do that. You can wear gloves, you can wear long sleeves, you can wear turtlenecks, you can do all of those kind of things as well. And I, I don't discount it because I don't think we have an answer. I don't think you can say it absolutely can't hurt you so if they really feel adamant about that, then I would say, you know, go over and try to find something that's just pure old-fashioned zinc. Um, could you please touch on the safety profile of HelioCare and what about children breastfeeding patients? So I'm a big proponent, unless a product has been studied in breastfeeding patients, I don't use it in breastfeeding patients. Because I don't want a patient having something happen to their baby and say, well, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't done that thing that you told me to do. So I, I really try to defer with all of my breastfeeding, pregnant patients, all that. I always have discussions with their gynecologists about even skin care. Like, I don't give them anything. I mean, I just don't, I don't, other than sunscreen, I really don't like to take any chances when they're, when they're pregnant or when they're breastfeeding. And I'll tell them, like, I won't do procedures on them. When they're done, then they can come see me. Um, with the helio care studies have been have been amazing. I mean the results. Remember that it's not a drug that's or a product that's been out for that long. So, I don't think we necessarily know some of the things that might show up. But right now this, the the um, product profile is very very good. And for children, I I think the best thing for kids. Again, whenever you're you've got a growing child, I do less pills and I do more you know dietary changes, things like that. So I think if you can go and have your patients or have your kids use the topical sunscreens, things like that, I think you're, you're better off when they're very young. Again, I don't think there's a lot of data in children on that, on that product. Um, what brand of facial sunscreen moisturizer do you use? So I, it depends. So I use different sunscreens based on where I am. So like right now I have on a tinted, I have Tizo, I think I have on right now, and it's a tinted zinc-based sunscreen. I only do um, zinc-based sunscreens. I break out from avobenzone, so I can't use a chemical sunscreen. So I will do a tinted one um, if I'm on vacation and I want to look a little bit more prepared. I I don't wear makeup otherwise. Like I don't have powders and and bases. I don't do any of that. I'm low maintenance. I don't have the time for it. I Single mom, don't have the time for it. Um, During the week when I'm at the office, I'll typically do something tinted. On the weekends, I'll just do a high SPF clear um, usually, sometimes it'll be SkinCeutical, sometimes it'll be Elta. When I go to Hawaii, I take the Elta 50 with me, and that's all I do, and I come back with no sun. And so I like that, and my kids don't mind it, so that's what I use. Uh, opinion on glycolic in pregnancy and nursing. And again, I go right back to the fact that I don't use anything on my pregnant patients that their gynecologist doesn't say okay on. And typically, the gynecologist does not say okay with glycolic acids. Maybe you have a different one, but not, and certainly not in those first 10 weeks of development of the the fetus. Um, Any concerns with higher than 30? Um, The studies have shown that over 20 doesn't work. So I say between 10 and 20%. The studies beyond that have shown that it really isn't effective, so I don't recommend anything above 20%. And I, I use it on skin of color. I don't have any problems with that, but I think at 30%, again, because it's not working right, it certainly could cause some problems. I always heard the humectants needed to be put on dry skin as the first base product. Do you feel that products with humectants mixed with other agents will still leave the humectant active? So I always say that an active ingredient goes first on the skin. So if you are putting a humectant on, I think you're creating a barrier, which is what you want it to do, from the next product you put on. So if I'm doing an active ingredient, that would go first and then for me, a moisturizing sunscreen would go second. So like on my face right now, I have two things, that's it. I have a product, and then I have a sunscreen, and that's it, in that order. Why is it necessary to stop hydroquinone? It's not necessary to stop hydroquinone. There is a controversial group that feels that potentially maybe hydroquinone could be harmful. And so because of that, the theory is, well, maybe if you just give your skin a break, it might not be a bad idea. That's it. There's no hard data. There's no evidence. It's just that we've been fighting this battle for a while now with groups that claim that hydroquinone is bad for you, even though there's no evidence to prove that. And so I think it's kind of just a, okay, well, okay, fine. So take a break from it. And there's no hard evidence. I think Gene said he did it, does it like in three months. I typically do four, five, six months. It depends on the patient and it depends on what my endpoint is. Now, if a patient is treating melasma and they're clear, they don't need their hydroquinone anymore. So I'll have them take a break, and then if it should start back up, if, they, if their hormones change, if they get sun exposure, and remember with melasma, no matter how good they look, five minutes walking to your car with sun exposure can cause pigmentation. That little bit of sun can cause you to have your melasma come right back. So it's imperative if you're treating melasma patients that you explain to them exactly how this works and that even a little bit of sun can cause them to get get bad again. Uh, Cosmeceuticals? That's the question? Does anyone want to expand? (laughs) What I'll keep going, okay. Um, so the dimericine is um, the Neova product. That's the Neova that I mentioned. Neova, you can get it anywhere. Um, I think you can even get it online, but better if you call the company and they'll bring you demos and, and samples for the office and you can try it that way and, uh, and sell it out of your office if you want. How long will you put someone on a topical regimen for melasma before they have a peel and do you ever utilize a peel first and then topicals and what do you think about the Abaji line? So with melasma patients, It is a long process, and I explain to them that it is not a one and done, it is not one thing works better than another, so I do treat it again as a combination therapy. I try to get them using a topical before they even come in because it does prepare the skin. It does make the skin respond better to any therapy, whether it be a laser or a peel that I do, it makes the skin respond better. So I will typically have them use a lightening agent, and I will typically use hydroquinone for somewhere between two and four weeks, and then I will do the treatment, whatever it is I choose. Once the skin heals, if there's any healing involved, they will restart their lightener after the skin has healed. Um, It depends on my patient. Every once in a while, someone will be in the office for the first time and they're like, no, I need something now. I may do a peel that day and then start them on their regimen afterwards. That does sometimes happen. Um, Zoobaji has a great product. I am just a person as, a, as myself, I think of myself as my, kind of my clientele, I don't have time to do multiple steps. It gets on my face and I'm out the door. I mean, it has to be simple for me and most of my patients want that. Typically the Obagi line has like multiple steps that you need to do. It's not that it doesn't work, it's just a multiple step procedure. Too many steps for me, that's how I look at it, but it does work. Um, any thoughts on long-term use of chemical sunscreens? I don't know that we have the data. I don't use chemical sunscreens because, number one, I I don't like putting chemicals if I don't have to on or in my body. And um, and again, I also break out from the chemical sunscreens. They've been around for a long time. They've been made to work better because you've got stabilizers, but I don't think we have any true data to say what it theoretically does long-term. I don't think there's anything bad or good at least at this point. Do you have any peels that you would specifically recommend for melasma? So the Cosmolin is great. Um, there is another one from Young Pharmaceuticals that I think works really well. Um, they won't tell you what's in it, but it's a really good product. It's a It has arbutin that I do know, which is not actually hydroquinone, but it's kind of a derivative that turns into a hydroquinone-like product, and that works really well. It is not inexpensive. Um, cosmeceutical books that you recommend. I love Zoe Drellis' book on cosmeceuticals. I think it's called Cosmeceuticals, and I think it's fabulous. She's an excellent, excellent clinician. She does a lot of research in the field. Um, I do, as I said, talk about all the cosmeceuticals that I like in my book, but I do think that she's an excellent, excellent resource. Do you, uh, do, you do any lab monitoring? Um, so, a study recently came out about lab monitoring in spinal saying you did not need to do it. However, what I explain to my patients is that there are two main problems with spironolactone. So for people that take the pill, number one, it's a diuretic. So it's used for lowering blood pressure. So it excretes sodium, which means it retains potassium in your body. If you have someone that starts off with a high potassium, you can get into trouble. So I get a baseline potassium, and then I have a consent form that they have to read and sign, two pages, and I tell them that if you go on this drug... You need to stop high-potassium-related products, like bananas and sodas and orange juice, things like that. So I try to get them to eliminate high-potassium things in their diet, and I do check a baseline potassium. That is the only thing that I think that we've seen does does get affected using that drug. The other thing that I tell them is that because it does seem to adjust the hormone levels a little bit, it can make your cycle irregular. So I do tell women uh, that is something that they have to be aware of. Do you feel oral vitamin A helps with acne, and if so, what dosage, and would you give it to females who are not using birth control? So what's Accutane? Anyone know? It's vitamin A. That's what it is. It's oral high-dose vitamin A. So would you give Accutane to females who are not using birth control? Absolutely not. And I've only had one patient in all my years of doing this that came in and was on Accutane and said, I think I might be pregnant, so now I don't even give it to stupid people. Like my rule is, you have to be smart and you have to understand what I'm saying because I am not going to be going through this. So um, it's really important. If you don't feel that you're getting through to that patient, do not write that prescription. Um, and now it's really strict. The guidelines with I pledge with with uh, girls of pregnant bearing age, you have to get a pregnancy test and you have to wait a full month before you can even put them on the Accutane. So vitamin A is is Accutane. That's what it is. And um, the idea is that. It's the same thing. You need the same parameters. I I typically would go with Accutane because it's a a standardized dose. I would not do just plain vitamin A. Sometimes I'll use vitamin A. um, There are different forms of it that can be used for psoriasis and things like that, but, again, I do monitoring and all the things that come along with that. Um, What percent? Someone already asked that on the zinc and avobenzone. I don't know. I don't. Typically, it just says avobenzone. I don't even think it has a, a, a percentage of that. I think it's pretty standardized. Um, I love what you teach your children. (laughs) Thank you. I say that to them all the time. I'm like, you will not die of skin cancer. That is my goal. Um, Will you use retinoids nightly? Still cause you to be more sun sensitive. Absolutely makes you more sun sensitive. So know that, like if people say I'm going to a vacation in the sun and things like that, I may say, you know what? It might be a good idea to stop your retinoids a week before you go so that you aren't more sun sensitive during the day. Um, Someone already asked me what brand I use. Again, it it varies depending on my day or what I want my skin to look like. I wanted to clarify that vitamin C oral is more potent than when, yes, oral vitamin C is better than topical. It seems to work more than a topical. We know that we need collagen, and we need vitamin C to build collagen, and the topical, you're not going to get as much as you're going to get it taking it orally, whether it's by eating it or by taking a supplement. So I take it every day. Um, Do you recommend nicotinamide? I recommend nicotinamide in my acne patients, yes. I do find that some of them do well with it. It is a large pill. There's a new one called Nicodan that I think is a little less large in the size. Um, So that's how I recommend it for my acne patients. Have you tried or heard of Restore-C for Lightening? So I have heard it. They brought it into my office. I hate the packaging on it. It doesn't work for me at all. Um, It does work. I think there are, it's on the milder form, so I think if I'm gonna go with something strong, I'm gonna go with a the hydroquinone. They do not have hydroquinone in that. Uh, do you recommend patients use at-home microneedles before applying? So you can certainly do that. Um, we know that if you can create these channels, like you heard the talk on microneedling, if you can create channels in the skin, the issue becomes how deep do you have to penetrate the skin to have the product get in and do anything more than just putting it on the skin? And that becomes, because I just did a study which we're publishing on microneedling, plain microneedling, and the problem is that if you don't create pinpoint bleeding, you're not probably getting deep enough into the skin. So I don't know how many of you want to pinpoint bleed every single night before you put on your topicals. I think you're gonna have some problems if you go that route. Um, I think I already answered that question on the hydroquinone. Any dietary vitamin suggestions for patients with acne? Yes, I discuss always, I go over the factor of talking about milk and milk byproducts and things like that and staying, again, hormone-free, making sure it's organic and unpasteurized, things like that, so I do discuss that. I will say to my families that if you are, if you're finding that your kid is breaking out when they eat certain kinds of food, then avoid it. If you, you know, we haven't tied the link directly from chocolates and candies and things like that to acne, but if you find that your kid is breaking out when they eat a lot of chocolate, stop it. I mean, it certainly can't hurt you. And we know that all of those high glycemic index foods aren't good for you anyways. Uh, do you recommend nicotinamide for my skin cancer? Um, for my skin cancer patients, usually I'll do the helio care if they already have the skin cancer as a preventive mechanism. Um, I, don't, I haven't seen enough data to show me that I wanted to switch them over to nicotinamide. Any more questions that aren't written down? Yes. So she asked about collagen supplements in drinks. Uh, You know, the question becomes, how much are you actually getting? And are you drinking collagen? Because the idea is that we're trying to make collagen. So I don't think actually physically putting collagen down your digestive system is going to do anything. Are there any studies on oral vitamin C and the benefits of skin? The question was, are there any studies on oral vitamin C and the benefits of skin? And the answer is yes. There are a lot of studies out there. (laughs) <laughs> so I've had precancers, so I do that NEOVA product. And again, I vary it up, so I'll change it up depending on how my skin is acting, but I like that NEOVA product in the morning. Anyone else? And I have 24 seconds. How is that for timing? I think we're good then. Okay, thank you for your time. This has been a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs recorded live during our summer 2017 meeting in San Diego, California.